Welcome back to How to Ticker Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. While we've had a few authors on this show, one thing we have not had is the author of an illustrated book. This week's guest, Thomas Penniston, is the illustrator and writer of A Time for Color, a book about joy. And while it may seem to be a children's book on the surface, one thing Thomas and his wife, Landa, who wears the editing and marketing hats in this duo, are here to report is that they've got a lot of interest at the other end of the age spectrum, too, in nursing homes and retirement communities. Kids love it. Older folks love it. Maybe there's something in there for the rest of us, too. The book's message is a timeless one. Live your life with joy. I buy that. Most people buy that. Although some people may respond that that's easier said than done. The hardest part about doing so, they argue, is not the joy part when things are going well, but the part about not losing yourself or your zeal for life when things get tough. There is truth to that, but that doesn't mean that the hard parts can't just be a part of a greater joyful whole. You just need to make sure everything doesn't fade to black. Back to our guests, though. Thomas and Landa are here to tell us how to keep things in technicolor. Welcome to the show, Penistons. We are glad to have you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. At the present moment, my love, my dear, oh, everything's connected. This life, this world, it's all right now, right here. Right now, right here. So why don't we start at the beginning? Um, you are not a um, career author, are you, Thomas? Where'd the idea for this book come from? Uh, the idea originated, um, I, I believe it's a personal journey. My sister had an influence on it, uh, but it was more of a journey of kind of self-discovery, uh, opening up uh, in this day and age. I just think that we need to spread more joy. And I did it in... Uh, the just uh, pops of color to kind of signify uh, the joy in the book. Um, it's really a, uh, it's it's really a good story. I think for all ages from four to ninety nine, um, and that everybody I think can get a little bit out of it. It's it's we've we've had such a such a good reaction from kids uh, four and five years old all the way up till people a hundred years old. And it was just, uh, just last week, we were actually uh, talking at a nursing home and there was uh, a resident there that's a hundred years old and she's a world war II vet. And she just was captivated at, at the whole story and how it kind of, uh, kind of landed home for her. And it was very, it was very gratifying. And um, when did this, wh- when did you write it? I wrote it approximately a year ago. Okay, so it came out of COVID? Yes. Mm-hmm. So my latest book was sort of prompted and came out of COVID. What was, what was the COVID impetus for you? Did you d- sort of get in a bead on the national mood or the mood around you? Or Absolutely. Of- I think uh, 
I think uh, with with everybody right now, with uh, tensions kind of kind of high in the way our world is right now, I think everybody, um, and then having to isolate, I, I think uh, I think we all needed a little more joy. And it was through my own personal experience here that uh, trying to come up with uh, something to try to almost get my own feelings out onto paper is what it was. And trying to deal with it just like everybody else through this through this time of uh, uncertainty, really. There's a bit of a Dr. Seussian rhythm to some of the stuff. Uh-huh. And um, I don't think I've ever worried about not wanting to ruin the plot of what is arguably a children's story for mm-hmm. someone. But I'm, I'm, I want to do something here. There's a turning point in your book somewhere in the middle. Yes. Where, where you write, the older I got... I became more aware. I had no time for color. I simply didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you land on our ability to see color as a proxy for how much we're hanging on to joy? The the reason I picked color, um, I picked it as one of the senses, just due to the fact that I think when we're when we're children, we're toddlers. Everything is brand new, fresh. All your senses are so sharp and keen that uh, when you venture out, you're fearless. You you see all these colors around you. You feel the grass for the first time with your feet and, and feel the dew on it. Everything is just so vivid and, and vibrant. You, you're just, your mind is just a sponge. You take everything in. And I thought, you know what? Everybody, you know, we have that 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 innocence, that joy when we're at that age that doesn't require anything bought or sold or acquired in any way. It was just, it comes from inside and trying to capture or recapture that feeling of what it must, you know, what we all experience as the child or even a, a good positive point in your own life and go back to that. So when he's walking around, it's almost seeing all his color through his eyes and he's taking in all this vibrance around him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I know what you mean about that feeling. I, I, I took my 14 year old daughter to camp the other day and mm-hmm. on the way there, we were talking about, you know, she couldn't sleep the night before she was so excited, right? She was just so absolutely excited. And I kind of brought me back to those feelings of the night before Christmas for me, or <laughs> the night before going on vacation or the night before going to camp or these special places when you're a kid that anticipation and that magic is, you know, is, is incredible. Absolutely. Whereas now, you know, now the night before vacation, I, I, I actually have a, a slight feeling of dread. Right? <laughs> like I'm excited about the vacation, right. but I'm like, Oh God, do I have everything done? Do I have everything wrapped up? Am I okay to, you know, am I clear to like take some time off? And it's, it's just completely different. I, absolutely. Fully. You understand it. it. It's, it's that, that jubilance, that joy, that, um, that I think it's connected because you're not connecting it with material things. You're not connecting it with what's face it, uh, responsibility and all that. Um, when you're a kid, you, you mentioned the night, the night before Christmas, what a wonderful experience. You obviously were anticipating some nice things for, for Christmas morning. Um, but at the same time, I think it was about, uh, just the experience, um, the, the lit tree, the Christmas specials that were on TV, um, you know, maybe your family had a tradition that you always did. Everybody was together. 
it wasn't mm-hmm. so much about the material things as it was who you were with. And I think the older we get, we tend to uh, actually worry more about our house, our material things, our car, things like that. And we, we forget, it's, it, it, you know, is that really what it's about? You know, is this all there is kind of thing? So, so am I right that you guys are grandparents? How can you be grandparents? <laughs> we are. Okay. So, um, was the, uh, was the arrival of a grandchild, uh, at all related to this? Cause right. Like the arrival of, of a fresh kid perspective, everyone who has young kids feels rejuvenated. Matt just said same thing, pay attention to your young kid, but did, did, did becoming grandparents have any impetus with this book? I would say not the not the real arrival of them because they're you know they're, they're like three and four now. Okay. But um, just the existence of them now and watching them and the joyfulness that they have and just watching how it used to be when I was younger and seeing them enjoy some of the same things that I enjoyed is just very very rewarding. That's awesome. It is. It's, you know, when you have this little person looking up to you for answers and, you know, I always had someone, I guess, that I could look up to for answers. And now when you in turn, you know, they're actually looking for answers from you and you can, you know, possibly give them positive direction on what they're asking. Um, You know, like I'll point out, like my father, he's in his 80s and he says, I'm still having trouble figuring things out. And he goes, when I was a child and I looked at somebody that was in their 60s, uh, he goes, wow, that guy's got it all figured out. And he said, wow, was was that guy ever wrong? So, you know. <laughs> We're just going to ignore it, Matt, the fact that they have a ladder on their bookshelf behind them, which is making me intensely jealous. <laughs> Let's just, I'm not going to pretend I didn't see that. So anyway, there's... Marketing, um, it is really interesting to me, uh, like in in retrospect, maybe doesn't seem like such a shocker. But where did you what made you think of what is taking what is ostensibly a children's book in front of a retirement audience? When when did that flash of inspiration hit you? I would say because our very first beta readers were our parents and immediately they were brought to tears. Um, my mom, uh, she has a book by her nightstand all the time. Tom's mom reads it probably once a day. Um, my boss, who would never show much emotion, cried when I read it to him. And I was, I was so moved by that. So <laughs> I thought, you know, we've got something special here. If this can move people, I want to share it. Absolutely. I think it's the fact that um, when I when I try to write my books, I, I try to add a humanist to it that everybody can relate to. Some books are out there that are extremely happy, and I I, I love those kind of books. And um, but if you can if you can bring it down where you know as just a, someone trying to tell a story, but make it real that people can relate to, I really think that's a positive. Uh, positive message. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, uh, as the story progresses and, you know, things don't turn out the way he plans, you know, then, then that's the the part of life that gets real for everybody, I think. So 
you know, I'm not going to ruin any of this for people because it's a delightful little book, but I wonder um, whether you uh, may have been biased taking your favorite color and giving it prominence in here anywhere. What is your favorite color? And did that influence how you wrote this book? <laughs> the second um, question is not really serious. <laughs> Actually, I really don't have a favorite color. I, I, I like them all about equally. I guess I would have to lean towards green, maybe. What I was going to um, Just for the fact that uh, it, it uh, brings back really fond memories of growing up and camping with my father. And uh, there's, there's little bits of uh, a lot of my family throughout the book. Um, and uh, when Green wants to go camp on the hill by the spring, I guess that, that really brings me back to that point. Hmm. Hmm. Just on the topic, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, your, your parents had like have a bedside copy. <laughs> That's really cool. And just that, you know, that multi working on the uh, for the, you know, multiple ages for the little for the very young and for the very old. Reminds me a little bit of, you must know, um, I Love You Forever, Robert Munch, you yes. know, classic, mm -hmm. classic children's book that I loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. I, I'm now reading as a parent, mm -hmm. but my, my mom would also read it to my daughters. And, you know, it's even about that, right? It's sort of about the, it is. you know, the, the aging kid. Absolutely. And um, just love that one so much. And, and we talk, we still talk about it all the time and everybody has, you know, their different way of even sort of singing the, the refrain that the, um, you know, that, that the dad does for his kid or the mom does for the kids. And then the dad does it later. And then I think he, uh, she shows up with like a ladder and, and like basically stalks her yes. kid. It comes in the second story yeah. of his house. Yes. And, uh, that part I always found a little bit creepy, but you know, cute at the same time. It is. <laughs> and I think, uh, I, I think what you got to pull away from that is of the innocence of the book yeah. and the message it's probably trying to, to promote there. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've heard the same thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to read my favorite passage because, um, as Matt has probably grown a little tired of hearing, I no longer believe in time. And also I believe that, um, <laughs> All the things we think we know pale in comparison to the things we don't know. So we're focused on the wrong things. So it says here, joy does not care who you are or where you are going. Joy has no sense of time. It's not wise or all-knowing. My favorite. Well, thank you. So what's next? What's the sequel? What's coming after this? Um, what's coming after this is uh, Franklin the Firefly. Mm. And I can tell you a little bit about Franklin if you want me to. Please. Okay. So uh, Franklin is a firefly and he grows up. He's a, he's a great toddler, uh, has plenty of friends, but uh, once he gets to a certain age, uh, all his friends start glowing, but uh, Franklin does not. And through a series of events, um, they find out that he actually has no glow and he gets, uh, I don't know, how would you put Franklin? What happens to him, really? Well, he he goes he goes down a wrong path. Okay, and yeah. then he has a has a friend kind of help him show the way, and he ends up being a hero in the end. But it ends up being okay that he didn't have a glow. That uh, yeah. So it's it's to teach kids that you know it's okay that you're different, and it's a real sweet story. It has a lot of humor in it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I think I think it will be well received. All right, we're looking forward to it. So, um, listeners, if you are intrigued, we are talking about a time for color, a book about joy by Thomas Peniston, P E N I S T E N. Where can where can they get this book? Can they get it on Amazon? Yes, they can, but. Um, our website is the best spot, and that's uh, GammaBurstBooks.com. All right. GammaBurstBooks.com, people. Go check it out, whether you are four years old or 99 years old. Um, wait, Matt. Sorry, we didn't do this. Matt, what's your favorite color? You know, my I, I, I don't believe in favorites of anything. I think <laughs> favorite is just something that you sort of are thinking of at the time, and some people, you know, really latch on to favorites, but I don't know if that's really their favorite or whether that's just a story that they've been telling themselves. The latest, greatest. Yeah. My wife is very, you know, my wife, Deb, very, very partial to yellow. She loves yellow. She loves everything yellow. She likes yellow clothes. She likes yellow shoes. She likes looking at color yellow. If we pass a yellow car, she's always like, oh, look at that. So, you know, and, 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 you know, my, when just turned you off to having a favorite color. (laughs) <laughs> when we first, well, when we first got together, I'm like, what about, you know, cowardice is yellow. And she like almost dumped me right there. Also jaundice. Yeah. But in any case, <laughs> these guys are talking about colors for joy, colors for joy. Yeah. Uh, mine is uh, blue, by the way, but blue. we don't need, we really need to go into it. Uh, thank you for joining us, Penistons. It's been great to talk to you. A time for color. And uh, we'll all be on the lookout for Franklin the Firefly. Absolutely. Thanks thank for you. having us. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We want to talk about our our guests here in a second, but I did realize in the middle of that program that we have been remiss in not having another children's uh, inspirational book author that we know on this show, the great Patrick Keating. Yes. Oh God! What was that one? He he was pitching the one to me for years. So he's got a book. We'll we'll be talking to you soon, Patrick. If you're listening, life is good. Be be kind or something. Is that is that it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We're, we'll get him on the show. So All right. is isn't that interesting to go out? I would, you know, we're we're back to precision paradox. We live in an era where we think things are uh, where we target things. Right. Well, we were, I was just asking someone to be a guest on this podcast the other day and they were like, what's the demographic of your listeners? It's like, I don't know, but so the, four to th- 99, yeah, four to 99 <laughs> ages, four to nine. Thank you. Penistons. That's uh, we're going to use that from now on. Enjoyed, listened to and enjoyed by, by people all the way between the ages of four and 99. It's a key demo. That's a key demographic. What a great insight to realize that it's not a kid's book. It's also um, it's sort of like a bell thing, right? There is a, they're mm-hmm. getting a lot of action in retirement communities, but also kids. It's fascinating. It's like, yeah. um, that's a marketing mind for you. She figured something out. Oh, you, all the great children's books are enjoyed, I think too, by the older, mm-hmm. gen, by the people that are reading, you know, like reading the books to their kids, especially, you know, like that for me, it was the Dennis Lee's Canadian kind of poet author, Shel Silverstein. Like yeah. I, I loved those as a kid and I loved reading them as an adult. And you find different things in them when you read them to your kids and probably even on another level, when you're like a, you know, grandparent reading them to your grandchild is, is like another new experience. And the, the Robert Munch, which I mentioned, of course, is like works on multiple generations. 
So um, another one which Steve and I obsessed over as kids, but which I would spend, gladly spend half an hour reading now is Gnomes, the illustrated book of Gnomes. Do you remember that? Never. I don't, I don't think oh I had God. that in, is it, in my it's library. It's a Scandinavian guy. It was fascinating. It was, all, it was like an illustrated sort of like uh, faux encyclopedia about gnomes that had all this hyper detail about, in hmm. any case. Cool. And the Dr. Seuss, of course. Although some of those have been discontinued. Some of those were, were canceled for various oh, no insensitivities. I did not know that. Yeah. In, including a couple that I have, like, not original, you know, printings, but very old ones that are probably gold now. One called Scrambled Egg Super, which is a bit of an obscure kind of tier two uh, Seuss book, but was one of my favorites, and I, I'm still holding on to it. Not that long ago, we were on a bit of an Elvis tear in this house before the movie came out and just sort of digging through his early stuff. There mm-hmm. are some songs that would get that dude canceled in five seconds. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Are you are you talking like him these days? Are you dressing like him a little bit? Are you are you starting to fanboy out a little bit? with No, Elvis, although though? there's a poster just arrived uh, today. Uh, Marguerite. Uh, Asked if we could get a poster of, I think she's just got a super huge cross on Austin Butler, who's the star of the movie, who's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I he came on my radar in that. He's just text, unbelievable text. in it. Yeah. So I got, um, I got a quote of the week for you. We're going to do this a little differently here. Um, this one's from Nisargadatta Maharaj, and it's about, um, uh, it's very apropos. It's, uh, we're talking about a children's book. So he's here, he's talking about infants. And he says, an infant knows the body, but not the body-based distinctions. It is just conscious and happy. After all, that was the purpose for which it is born. The pleasure to be is the simplest form of self-love, which later grows into love of the self. Be like an infant with nothing standing between the body and the self. The constant noise of the psychic life is absent. In deep silence, the self contemplates the body. It is like the white paper on which nothing is written yet. Be like that infant. Instead of trying to be this or that, be happy to be. Yeah, like Tarzan, right? Tarzan right. was just, he didn't you know, have any language or anything, or he was just... Well, I'm, I'm now of the opinion that we think too much, right? We should just be, we don't need to think our way out of all, like we think our way into situations and then think we need to think our way out of them. You just need to stop thinking your way into them. Mm-hmm. Um, we know at this point in, uh, in the show, we, we, we would typically go to the Sage of Sages, but um, I figure uh, we should check in with Marguerite. Welcome back to uh, the award-winning uh, segment of the How to Tickle Yourself podcast. Hey, Marguerite. Hi. So uh, we just read uh, A Time for Color. Uh, on the surface, it seems more like a children's book, but there's obviously some some lessons in there. And, and the, uh, the authors, uh, Thomas and his wife, Londa, were telling us that... Um, people in old folks' homes have responded well to it. Like, so it could be for all ages. What's at your age, you're 13. Uh, what was your takeaway from the book? I think the book is like explaining a life lesson that kind of says how when you grow up, 
you stop doing what you love to do because of how you think other people think of you or because of your job or et cetera, and your colors go away, like all the things you care about and love you stop doing. So what's your, what's your secret for keeping the color in your own life? Barney's white. He's not really a color, but where are your colors? Do what you love to do, no matter what people around you are telling you, and you shouldn't live off other people's expectations. What's your favorite color? Blue. Why? Because it's the color of my eyes? No. (laughs) All right. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, The Littlest Sage. Marguerite, thanks for joining us. Anytime. Yeah, so, you know, having the Penistons on here really got me thinking a lot about, you know, color as a metaphor. And one thing I thought was kind of interesting about it is how color, it kind of changes in different contexts or, you know, like people sort of think that there's natural things associated, natural feelings or connotations maybe with with different colors and stuff, but not really. I, I, you know, like... I was just thinking how, you know, in, in the U.S., like a red state is a Republican state and a blue state is uh, is, is Democratic. But up, up here in Canada, it's it's kind of the opposite, right? Like the blue mm-hmm. states are the or the blue provinces are the are the uh, conservative provinces and the red are the liberal ones. Um, you know, red could be an anger or passion or love. Sure. You know, but it can also mean stop. Right. And a stoplight. <laughs> um, yellow, like I was saying, yellow can have kind of you know, warm, a warmness to it, like the yellow of the sun, but it could also mean cowardice, uh, you know, jaundice, as you pointed out during the interview. So, you know, these things, I think that, you know, if anything, they kind of change over time based on, I don't know, there's, there's no intrinsic value to these colors. Nah, it's an interesting point. Is there an intrinsic meaning to colors? I guess the chakra system people would say yes, but I think that's also just metaphorical too, right? Yeah. But in any case, I've got one for you. So the state of Colorado, you know, one of my favorite states in the uh, in the lower 48. You and Marguerite, you and Marguerite are, are of, of like mind about that. Really? I, I, I love it. It's got, uh, you know, great people. It's got great skiing, great mountains to hike around and do fun stuff in fishing, stuff that I like to do outdoors. And I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it before until I was there uh, just recently and um, local told me Colorado comes from like the color red, like color, the Spanish for the Colorado River, because it was kind of a red river, a ruddy river because of all of the iron content in the rock. So Colorado. <laughs> Describing so. the place by what it looks like. There's nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. the red you house. Know? It's the yeah. red house, but on a statewide level. That's right. I'm going to walk my dog a little bit later. I'm going to walk him over to uh, Broadview Avenue where there's a very broad view of the city. Oh, there you go. Wow. Okay. Names that actually mean something. Yeah. Pleasantville. It's another, another, a movie that uses color as, (laughs) as this, as a similar kind of metaphor. Did you ever see that one? Reese, or was it Reese Witherspoon? Maybe. Yeah. Yes, I did. They're just outside New York city, right? Yeah. And they're in a, it's, it's black and white and the whole city is black and white. Yeah. But when color gets added or, you know, I think somebody, I can't remember exactly, it's an old movie, but 
maybe somebody gets tempted by love and passion and that kind of thing. And then they start to actually be able to see color, but that color, it kind of actually threatens, threatens the town and it's small town sensibilities. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're going to close here with a new item instead of Oriabindo. So, uh, a lot of the people I've been reading recently use, uh, little parables or stories to get a point across. And I was reading something by Guru Mai, the Siddha Yoga Guru. And she was talking about the issue is the answers are within. They're not without. And so here's the little story that we'll end with. This is a bedtime story to end the show because um, it was children's book day here on How to Took Your Son. All right. So, um goes like this. A man learned the language of the tigers. He talked to many, but they were all uninteresting. Finally, he found the wisest tiger. He approached him and asked, what is mud? The tiger said, mud is sticky. And when it dries up, it tickles your paws. Bonus points for having tickle there in the thing. The man asked, What are bushes for? The tiger said, Bushes help us to conceal ourselves from our enemies, and sometimes they get in the way of our whiskers. The man thought, Well, I'll ask him a question about human beings. And he asked the tiger, What is man's greatest disability? And the tiger said, Not having claws. So the man realized that tigers are basically uninteresting, no matter how wise they may seem to be. As he walked away, a cheetah came up to the tiger and asked, what was that man talking to you about? Oh, the tiger said, he was just some stupid fellow asking stupid questions. So I gave him stupid answers. (laughs) So the lesson, we think that when we gain a little knowledge, we can test someone very wise but somehow we've not tested what kind of knowledge we ourselves have. It is very important to go deep within, and you can't get the answers even from the wisest tiger. Let that be a lesson to you. Well, Duff, you're certainly a very colorful character. Right. I'm dressed in my Indian, uh, this is my sort of Native American representative shirt. And thanks for listening, listeners. We'll be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rock Ledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, 
Our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.